Hello all. It is a holiday weekend here in America where many of the Pitch Drop hosts, whether they want you to remember or not, are from. So rather than kick off the new season and burn through our limited backlog immediately, you're going to get a previously patrons-only special, which is myself, Matt, and Ryan discussing Gundam The Witch from Mercury directly after it ended and... So enjoy this, and in two weeks we'll be back with the kickoff of another Gundam season, Iron-Blooded Orphans. Have fun, and thank you so much for being a fan. <laughs> You are listening to a bonus episode of Boku No Stop. Uh, hello and thank you. Today we're going to be talking about something a little bit fresher than we normally do. Uh, so this is an episode about Mobile Suit Gundam The Witch from Mercury, which ended recently. And uh, I, I thought that, um, oh, well, with me here is... Hello, I'm Sybil. I'm Ryan. And it's Matt, of course. And... Uh, you know, this is, I guess we haven't had a accommodation like this since uh, last season on LST, but uh, Ryan, you're usually not on a Bokudo stop, so this is a, this is a rare treat. Yeah, it's true. Um, I just typically don't have the most time in the world to be on another regular anime podcast because my anime watching is very uh, sporadic and generally in large chunks. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But it's good to be here, and I'm excited to talk with uh, with you and Sybil. Yeah. Any hot takes you want to get out as uh, your first debut on the show? <laughs> uh, like hot takes about G-Witch or just hot just takes about anime in general? Just anime. What have you got stored up? Uh -huh. Go for um, it. See, a lot of these Sybil will back me up on. Um, Victory Gundam is good, actually. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Vietnam Arc of Vodums is everything that uh, 08 MS team wishes it could be. Also true. Hmm. Okay, so th those are those are the two that I'm leading with. Maybe we'll 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 keep <laughs> my takes going if I keep guesting. <laughs> yeah, you know I don't remember much about 08 MS team. I did go out of my way to watch it, and I'm like, all right, that was fine. <laughs> that, was, mm -hmm. that was all I really felt about it. Well, I guess a question I had for you, based off of that. This is your first standard Gundam series you've watched, isn't it? Well, okay. Yeah, I'm definitely the Gundam neophyte here. So I've watched bits and pieces of Wing. That's where I started, like back on Toonami. And I remember uh, like I bought the, the Gunpla kits and that actually got me to go rent Endless Waltz because that like those were my favorite designs. Mm -hmm. So I watched Endless Waltz back in the day. I watched G Gundam as it was airing uh, in the States. And then I watched OAith MS team in this. Like that. So basically, like, mm. pretty much don't have almost any mainline Gundam experience, which means that my perspective here is uh, going to be very strange. And we're, we're going to end up doing Iron-Blooded Orphans soon, which is also relevant to this 
to this series. Yep, yeah. we are about a month out from starting that. Well, and interestingly, I think that Wing is actually a pretty good touch point for for G-Witch in, in some ways, because yeah. it's the one that uh, incorporates the most shoujo into mm, it. Yeah. In, into Gundam uh, b- beyond, I mean, you know, this is Yuri, but uh, <laughs> this too is Yuri. Yeah. But, um, and also interestingly, uh, I feel like it solves some of the problems that wing ends up having. Um, it has, it has a lot of similar beats and notes that it hits, but I think that it hits them better. Hmm. Incidentally, just a pitch for you, Matt, you might want to go on to the second most Yuri Gundam after this, which would be Victory. <laughs> Is that going to make any sense if I don't have any other context? Oh, yeah, it's it's pretty standalone. Okay. Yeah, okay. it... It is Tom, you know, on his most sicko shit, and he is in direct conversation with his own legacy of UC Gundam the whole time, but it is designed to be digested okay if you have not seen any other Universal Century Gundam because it takes place uh, not in the same condensed timeline that everything else takes place in. I was going to go start 0079 as my next big project. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. because like nothing wrong with that yeah because like i finished legend of galactic heroes i went i like blazed through bottoms although i haven't watched the ovas there's so many fucking ovas for that series <laughs> uh, there are so many there's there's 10 and like half of them are series in and of themselves it's annoying I, yeah i funnily enough mellow link is the least essential one and that's the one that everyone's like oh watch mellow link you gotta watch mellow link and i think that's the one that that is the one that you can skip the yeah. easiest yeah i'll probably watch it anyway because i still have a high dive until uh november so <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i'm running out of things to watch on it that i actually want to uh and uh yeah so like i usually pick like okay if i'm gonna sit through a long thing like i'm gonna commit to it and i was going to to try to do that with um with that series next and if i do that i'll probably just start rolling through gundam as a yeah. whole um but yeah, let's 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 talk about the series we're actually here to talk about. Uh, so you've probably heard of it, right? Like uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it's apparently the series that led to the biggest Gunpla sales uh, ever. That's that's the word on the street, which is kind of cool. Um, and it was uh, written by uh, Ichiro Okuchi, which is the guy who wrote Kogias, which we are currently watching on uh, the free version of Boku no Stop. If you haven't been listening to it, boy, it's it's hard for me to really like. I'm sure there is more in Kogias that I could find in Witch for Mercury if I had the complete view of that series. Like we're not towards the end of season one. Civil is giving a <laughs> giving a faint grin there. You just watched Bloodstained Yuffie, so I know. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ, that episode. Um, <laughs> but but really, like when you look. The other thing that like was really important is that he wrote a couple of Uteta novels back in the day, like 1999. And mm. when this show first aired, well, not that there was there was a pro- prologue episode and then there was the first episode. The first episode, everyone just went, holy shit, Uteta's back because 100 <laughs> percent like we had, you know. You have the duels, you have the two female leads, you have like the marriage being tied up in it. 
you know, it was pretty much what for you have a fucking Sionji. Like Guel mm-hmm. is Sionji. He even goes camping mm. when he gets like loses his position with, with his family and his company. Like so much of this is like Uteta, but also it really is like like 70% Tempest by volume. <laughs> Uh, the Tempest by yeah. uh, by Shakespeare. And I think we're going to end up talking about that a fair bit. I don't know if we want to go through like the whole setup on it, or if we want to just start jumping into our, our thoughts on the series or like, you know, how we felt about it. I figure if we need structure, we might as well just hit prologue, first season, second season. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean... Because th- the prologue is very standalone until about season two. Honestly, like until about season two and a half, really, it it re it it, it I was struggling. Be- I actually I loved the prologue a lot. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, um, mm-hmm. and some of the tonal shifts in season one and the ways that it was like, okay, I can see how the prologue sets up the universe, but now we're in something totally different. And I was, I was a little frustrated at first as much as I was enjoying the show. And then, yeah, yeah, when, when the prologue becomes important again, and I started to see the, you know, the kind of the bird's eye view of it, I was like, Oh yes. Okay, great. The funny thing is people were talking about the prologue and how it related, like, you know, is like, what is Ari's relationship to uh, Suleta? It was like an ongoing conversation, even in core one, like late core one, people are like mm-hmm. doing the timeline and being like, she's not old enough to be Ari because Ari was four at during the prologue, and this was seventeen years later, and Soleta's like seventeen <laughs> or sixteen, uh, right? So people were already being like, "What's the relationship there?" It's clearly, you know, they look alike. Um, yeah, I was one of the ones who was on the train of, I think I know where this is and we're proven right in season two because yeah. they dropped enough hints. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. Uh, yeah, no, the, that prologue, like, it definitely felt what I would imagine Gundam is like, which is like, you know, basically very tragic, right? <laughs> A lot of horrible yeah. things happen. Like, you, you know, you have the, uh, what is it, the Vanadis or Vanadis? Um Vanadis, yeah. um incident uh where you know that whole pretty much that whole section gets wiped out uh like clandestinely and it's brutal and you have like the fucking birthday song like remember when the birthday song was like <laughs> the, the heaviest thing that, that would happen in the show well it yeah. happened repeatedly that's I know. one yeah. of the recurring themes which is so wild Mm-hmm. Which is funny because I think they kind of dropped that in core two. That was really a core one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, which, court and which is core two has so much going on. Yeah, you know it. Before we kind of get into the nitty gritty, I want to say that like overall, this is a weird thing, but like my biggest complaint about this show, which I it's very monkey's paw for me to say this, mm-hmm. but it's a show that I wish was 53 episodes instead of 25 or 24. Um, yeah. Like I, I want a nineties to two thousands era order of episodes to tell this same story because it mm-hmm. is, it, it's just pedal to the gas the whole time. And I kind of wanted to live in some of the relationships and some of the world states a yeah. little bit longer. Yeah, a lot of the side characters or side threads really do kind of 
feel perfunctory by the end, you know, um, mm-hmm. like, man, like they did so much with, uh, uh, Guel, but like, I feel like it ended up landing kind of flat for me by the end. Uh, mm. like, or at least it was a little, it was a little pat the whole, his, his whole fight with, uh, Lauda, uh, at the end, but yeah, you're, you're right. It does feel like, you know, <laughs> It, it does feel like there needed to be at least one more core to stretch things out. And like, and especially like, we'll talk about core two, like what it does with some of the side characters in core two, which is really silly. Uh, but uh, yeah, also funny thing. You had two shows running in the same season that are both Gundam related, that are both pretty sapphic. And both of them in the finale had a three-year time skip that probably shouldn't have been there. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm gonna be the one who puts their foot down and firmly says this should be 26 tops, not counting okay. the prologue. I don't think Gundam gets to do 50 again until they've proven they can do a couple without absolutely stepping <laughs> on a rake. Yeah, it's fair. Um that that that's that's fair but it just it it was i it, it like yeah i don't i don't want to live through seed and seed destiny ever again obviously oh oh you mean like the movie uh-huh but there was so there was so much good stuff that felt like it it was just there for a second and then we're moving on um and and you know like the prologue to kind of bring it back to the prologue so we're not zoomed out the whole time it really does it's hyper focused on a single event Mm -hmm. and um and so then the extremely sped up timeline of everything that's happening in 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 the show itself i was just it was a little jarring um also like prosperous characterization yeah so so different and Mm -hmm. and and it w- and the prologue ended up being really instructive for the amount of forgiveness that the show gives Prosper at the end because we we saw what kind of made her into the the person that she became. Yeah. You know, I think really, you know, talking about the prologue and the time before the series starts proper, that we never see Mercury. <laughs> We never see or no. anything related to it. And mm-hmm. there is some um, supplemental writing that fleshes this out a little bit, uh, but like very, very little. And I, I kind of wish there was a little bit more established there because it just definitely feels like, oh, that's just don't worry about that. Like the actual like background of who Suleta was prior to coming here. None of that's important. All that matters is that, uh, you know, she she gets her uh, her little list of things she wanted to do in school and she gets to check him off. It uh, it kind of mirrors Jupiter in Universal Century that way, where Jupiter is like this incredibly important part politically of uh, of Universal Century stories and, and comes up and there are characters from Jupiter again and again, but it doesn't get visited until like yeah. a manga decades later. Yeah. I mean, and, and like, it definitely affects what happens with, with Prospera because like, yeah, at first everyone's like, yeah, that must be her mother. But like, she looks different. She talks different. She's just, it, it's, 
you know, you look at the two characters next to each, like the pre and post, uh, like if you're on the wiki or something, you know, like that's the same person. It's very, mm-hmm. it's very strange. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I guess we could jump into uh, uh, season one, unless y'all have anything else to say about the, the prologue. Uh, I think I will just make a more broad comment based off of some things that Ryan said, which is that this series felt like it went under the radar. A lot of how Bandai has handled it, and some of that's more recent, and we'll get into that at the end, Mm -hmm. but uh, everything about how this was done felt like there were two directives from above. One is... This has to look good. It is still a Gundam show, and they moved heaven and earth to make sure that every episode looked excellent, Mm -hmm. including calling in outside studios to make sure they had the manpower. And B, they did not expect this to take off at all at any point, up to and including the fact that they had convention appearances and announcements directly after the finale about the Gundam franchise and they weren't about G-Witch they were going look at everyone the seed movie you've been waiting for is finally here (laughs) because they did not think this was going to be a hit they thought this is the side story that's wild to me I guess like because it just sounded like at least in the spaces that I was in that this was like the preeminent show that was going on. Well, I mean, I guess like there were other big shows happening. Like, I mean, I, Oshinoko last core was huge. Oh no, 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 no. I'm not saying this was looked down upon. I'm saying Bandai did not expect this to be the hit that it was the new record holder for Gundam merchandise sales selling Mm -hmm. out entire lines of gunpla with that one hilarious exception (laughs) but they everyone in the executive suite seemed to think yeah okay this is just gonna be another i don't know wing this is gonna be iron-blooded orphans whatever people are gonna Mm -hmm. look at it people are gonna talk about it and then we're gonna do the next one and everyone's waiting for hathaway 2 and the seed movie This caught them off guard, and I think that's where a lot of what it got away with comes in. Because Mm -hmm. it wasn't Gundam Gundam, it -hmm. was just a Gundam show. Totally. Yeah. And, well, and what's, I mean, what's funny about that is that I feel like it actually has something of its own to say about a lot of the common Gundam themes, which is not something that I've thought about a Gundam show in a really long time. So it's very funny how they kind of, how the executive branch seemingly saw this as almost like a Gaiden, uh, sort of, so to speak, um, when it is in fact like a capital G Gundam show in, in mm-hmm. ways that it, I didn't even feel like IBO felt a lot of the time. It just, it, I, it was really remarkable. Mm-hmm. Well, here's a question I guess I pose to both of you because y'all know Gundam better than I do. Like, did it surprise you how much that this particular iteration of Gundam happened to be focused on like corporatism? 
and the economy and and all no. of that. No, no, okay. all that that stuff that stuff is in the margins of UC, but it's very much a part of like mm-hmm. the the movement of UC, and it's also a part of some other um, AU stuff. Okay. So it, okay, it 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 only surprised me in the fact that I didn't really trust that Gundam would touch on that anymore. But, but once it started popping up, I was like, okay, yeah, this is, mm-hmm. this is a Gundam show. Yeah. The first two episodes, it, hell the prologue it's a, itself, but within the first two episodes, they basically throw out a lot of things that say, even if you expect this to just be the cute Yuri show, this is still Gundam. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It speaks the language of the series. Yeah. I, I guess, like, in my mind, Gundam is about big ass war, right? And this is less about big ass war versus it, as much as there's, like, you know, you have the primary power, which is really an extremely corporate power. I, I guess there's also the Space League. That's a whole separate thing from, well, from the. Uh, here's an company. analogy that might work to sum this up. I would say this series is to Tamino's Gundam and original UC as Hideaki Anno's Shin Kamen Rider is to the original Shotaro Ishinomori works. All of the pieces are there, but in a very modern state. Yeah, I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Um, And while, yes, Gundam is is about, like militarization and political violence um one of the biggest uh one of the biggest themes that that all kind of Gundam touches on is this idea that um the younger generations are in danger of repeating the same cycles of violence as the folks who came before, mm-hmm. especially because they get thrust into situations where it feels like it's impossible not to, but they eventually can learn to transcend and break the cycle of violence. Like that, mm-hmm. that is Gundam writ large as well. Got it. Got it. Yeah, this it's series has Tamino esque new type bullshit without a single new type. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. It has like it it not only does it have new types, it's got both new types and cyber new types, which again, that's a weird long-standing translation thing because Gundam treats new types and cyber new types the exact same until you get to um the subtitling and then and then it and then the distinctions get made. But yeah, no. That yeah, exactly. There's mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. there's new type shit, cosmic consciousness shit in here. Mm-hmm. Like it it's all there. It's all there. Yeah. You know, I, the thing, funny thing is they, there's a lot of talk about the data storm and I don't really, I mean, maybe I should have watched the first couple episodes to refresh my memory, but it, it didn't seem like the data storm was some kind of collective unconscious of some, or, or collective like group of consciousnesses um, in a way that comes back so, so much in the finale of of the series that kind of seemed to hit me out of nowhere anyway. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, generally the woo woo psychedelic cosmic consciousness shit pops up in the last fifth of a Gundam show Mm -hmm. and they may have like laid the groundwork for it, but it, it, 
it usually happens as like a a final turn yeah. in the story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're not talking about like the sixth civilization in <laughs> uh, <laughs> idiot kind of shit, where it was like that was the whole deal the whole way through. Um, although the data storm is kind of a big part of what happens in the plot and, and with the setting when it comes to, to what Gundams are, uh, at least, or how, what are Gundams in this particular iteration of the show, um, mm-hmm. or of the series. Um, that is something I did want to bring up because it's interesting how there's the, the very direct link here between the militarized version of Mecca. And then, you know, we, we, I mean, this is the thing I kind of want to tee you up for, Ryan, because you, you like to bring up the whole Bex's bodies metaphor thing. And then yeah. this is a series where, like, the solution is to turn mechs into bodies, but not like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it it is. It's so interesting. And I feel like it is also uh, a very post-Ava Gundam in ways that most Tomino shows couldn't really be. Um, Sybil has a point on that. Um, But, but, yeah, it was really, really interesting how the gunned format and the idea that they made these giant robots in order to advance kind of like uh, uh, prosthetic technology. Um, But, you know, they still needed this war machine because uh, the economy is built on Mm -hmm. building competing war machines and, and, you know, using that to advance other technologies. But, but it, it, it framed that ideal as so naive and, you know, in actuality, mm-hmm. Prospera the whole time was just trying to make it so that her, you know, so that her Mecca daughter could uh, could exist outside of the Mecca. But there's still all of the body stuff Mm-hmm. of of you know putting putting these these humans who 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 can't deal with the interface uh and and destroying them and and seeing them as disposable and making them push themselves beyond their limits through something that was initially designed to assist them like but but yeah it the 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 way that it plays out is very different you're totally right well you said that this is the post Ava one I was going to say a lot of what the series says about bodies is very responsive to Full Metal Alchemist oh yes absolutely. a series about a lot of prosthetics and how they Mm. are part of war itself but also how the body does not have to just be this one shape in a lot of different ways and I think especially exploring the themes of having to recuperate how you do not have to be able-bodied as society sees it to be useful and especially the development of auto mail after a great war and it being a generational thing where the youngest characters in the series are the ones who adapt the most and the fastest to auto mail mm-hmm. is a real counterpoint to how 
you will not see a single person over the age of 30 interacting with anything gun format that does not scar them and leave them visibly wounded. Mm -hmm. And the the funny thing about it is that there's that kind of gets lost in the whole like Gundams kill you, by the way, thing is that like a Mm -hmm. lot of the technology was to help people who are dying in space because being in space is bad for them. (laughs) Uh, Right. And I feel like that bit kind of falls out a little bit, um, or at least it gets lost in terms of the the perspective. Because it's like, it it is also very strange the whole um, like when Delling's like, okay, we gotta wipe out the Gundam people because the Gundams kill their pilots. I mean, I guess that's just the bullshit reason he he gave. He just wanted it. He just knew that they were dangerous and he didn't want them in, in the mix. Um, but also at the same time, it's like, well, if this many people have trouble living out in space and most people, especially the privileged people, live out in space, wouldn't you at least want some countermeasure going on to help with that particular problem? Or like how pervasive is the the problem of um, like whatever the space sickness is? I, I'm not sure, but um, like it seems more like a labor based aggravation of those issues mm. though and the people in power are never going to be the ones going into the mines right that makes right. sense yeah and so it was, it's like it, it was designed to help the the more disposable people who helped build the space colonies more than yeah um it it's interesting also because that one little bit like this again very tomino um there's almost no exposition in this show. We see it through the characters the whole time, and they don't always have the whole picture. And when we do get world building, it's in little news clips that are on screen and stuff. And the piece where they talk about why the gun format was initially developed is one of the few bits of just straight exposition that we have. And that, I think, might be part of of why it doesn't feel as part of the world as everything else, because it, it's it's one of the only zoomed out bits of just standard backstory exposition that we get. And so it does not feel of a piece with the rest of the show. Yeah. I love that. Like this is a school full of these elites who keep conniving and backstabbing mm-hmm. and doing dirty tricks on each other. And they go to a school that just totally approves of conniving and backstabbing and Mm -hmm. pranking and dirty tricking. It's like, you know, people don't get punished when, uh, you know, when there is some secret handshake deal that makes a duel unfair or when um, view screens are sabotaged. It's just like it, it, you know, and but then they also let... um, they also let Choo Choo punch one of the saboteurs yes. like faces in. So, uh, you know, them. we don't we don't really see the faculty for this school much at all. We see a couple mm-hmm. of teachers, but it really does seem like the the higher level students are in charge of a lot of it. And I really do love how their school imitates the world that that they're that they've been raised to that 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 they've been raised to live in. I mean, it, it is very much the training wheels version of the world they're going to uh, inherit. <laughs> yeah. Um, which also just makes a lot of the parenting stuff 
just feel awful like just downright terrible oh my god um, yeah and ba- like they, this is a show that you know it, it has a happier ending than most gundam shows do and there's a lot of forgiveness uh extended from the main characters to the main antagonists but there are no good parents in this show no. every parent is a shit ass mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yep yeah or dead or dead yeah. you know i I gotta say, like, so one of the things that happen in happens in Core One that I thought would have been really, really cool, and that it they didn't explore it at all, is so right. You have you have uh, Miorne, which I don't think we've even said her name yet. Uh, nope. <laughs> no, uh, you know she's yeah. As Delling's daughter, like it, you have the real. The thing I got to say about her in particular is that, especially in that first core, she does seem like a petulant child. She does mm-hmm. seem like a teenager throwing a tantrum. And there are times in which her dad, like, puts her in her place in a way where I go, like, you're a dick, but also you're right. <laughs> like, like, or like, what are you doing, like, kid? Like, this is not going to work for you. You look like you're just throwing a tantrum. Um but the- yeah, he's a terrible parent, but he's not wrong in most of the positions he takes with his daughter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is why he does show his support in a roundabout way. And Yeah. Yeah. And the, the thing that ends up, like, disappointing me is that, like, the, the moment where she launches Gundarm, right? That's the name of the company, Gundarm. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And they get, they get the money, and, like, she gets the first real bit of approval or support from her father, what I thought was going to happen, what I wanted to happen, have happen is to have her wrestle with the idea of, wait, I hate this guy. Why does it feel good when I get any type of support from him? Or, you know, like wrestling with the idea of what's it like to still be attached to a shitty parent? Yeah. But no, I mean, that's the thing is that, it may, maybe the idea is that these teens are more capable of forgiveness because they're more capable of growth or something. But like, you know, Guel has an evil dad who he still loves after all of that. And, you know, Guel's dad might be the least evil, but he's he still sucks a lot. He sucks. Uh and and both Saleta and Miorne still dearly love their parents and still want their approval. And they're not like, yeah, nobody's going no contact with their parents after this show, mm-hmm. which is kind of remarkable. And 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 I don't want to well, say there's that there's the one exception it. where they went really yeah. high contact. Oh, uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like. Uh, I don't I think it's probably pushing it a little far to say that it undercuts the show but it mm-hmm. is for a show that knows how how dark these decisions that these parents made are yeah. um, it, it uh, everyone is just because of the power of familial love and the idea of like you raised me and gave me these opportunities to turn me into the person who I am um, that overrides any any wounds that mm-hmm. that you know might need some distance and some telling yeah. off in order to heal i mean i think also part of the reason why they couldn't even do that part is because the dude's 
spends time in a coma for like the second half of the show. <laughs> yeah. And I know we're not talking about that part yet, but like, we'll get there. Uh, it's, it was just very frustrating to me because you'd think that like, you know, it, Mjornay would like interrogate that a little bit because she seems like the kind of person who would, at least like in terms of her, her personality, like she's fought this man so hard and finally got something out of him. And it feels really good to her in that moment. And then like, she just kind of rolls with it. And it's like, yeah, well, but, but then also when she is in this position of, of, of what she sees as, incredible power she gets manipulated and she feels she feels responsible for thousands upon thousands of human deaths Mm. that she you know that were not her fault but she was like well i was in charge of the company when this happened Mm. so i wonder if also some of it is like oh wow my dad's job is so hard Mm -hmm. like and you know they they don't ever act come out and say it but but i maybe i felt like some of that was why she ended up softening towards him. Also, you know, a near death experience will, will soften folks sure. towards people who they have resentment towards. Sure. Sure. I can, I get, I also, can really buy if, if you want that story that you're pitching, Matt, yeah. you want to play trails of cold steel. Mm-hmm. Every okay. version of what you've just laid out mm-hmm. is a pair of characters arcs in that. Yeah. I'm trying to think. I had an example lined up where it's like, yeah, there was this series where this exact thing happens, and I'm totally blanking on it right now. Um, but it's, it's, I don't know. I thought that that was like a nice human complexity that I would have liked to see a little bit more of. Um, of course, granted, like when we're talking about Core One, so much of it is just school stuff. Like there were so many episodes mm-hmm. in that. Like really, just establishing they're out of school, they're taking tests. So let us trying to make friends. It's not going super great, and, and of course we have a, a a duel per episode, roughly because of course you do. Uh, you got all these cool robots you got to sell, uh, and for the most part the fights were like pretty good. Yeah, and something that's interesting about this this first kind of like two thirds of core one before the before the incident happens that takes up multiple episodes that kind of breaks up mm-hmm. the routine is um, Suleta always wins and yep. until they team up to take her down in in the team fight which is also the like the fight that made me woot the hardest when shit came together which i want to talk about in a second but the difference between saletta always wins in witch from mercury and hero always wins in wing uh is that there is always so there are always other stakes and conflicts at play beyond the battles that the battles fold into but the battles are just like a way to decide the next thing but soletta is still losing like soletta soletta is still suffering losses even as she's winning these duels because you know her heart too pure for this for this world yeah and uh, she keeps wanting to trust people who she shouldn't yeah etc etc and so and so her winning every single battle did not really get old and then and then the show shifted before it could yeah and i mean to be honest like it's it was hard for me not to be thinking about 
what happened to Utena as well, especially that that first season or the first arc. Yeah, like Utena basically wins every single um, duel she's in until she loses to Toga right at the end and then loses her faith. And like, it was the kind of thing where like I was primed for that to happen. So when it finally happened, I'm like, there it is. There's the moment. Uh, <laughs> it's doing the thing. Um, because yeah, she, if she won every single time, that that would suck. But I mean, you're you're absolutely right that like she isn't winning them cleanly, even if the fight was one sided, <laughs> like in the fight itself. Right. Um, God, speaking of you mentioned you mentioned the punch road around the world earlier. Can, uh-huh. can I just say I feel like I'm the only person who doesn't like it in retrospect. Uh, huh. So, I mean, here's the thing. Okay. It became a meme immediately. Uh, and, like, th- that shit caught on, like, wildfire. And, uh, like, in the moment, it felt really good because, of course, those girls are jerks. And they're they're making uh, they're making uh, our sweet little cinnamon roll cry and possibly fail out of school. But, like, those punches are so fucking hard. Like, she could have killed those two kids. And I'm like, that doesn't feel good to fucking say, rah, rah, yeah, give them fucking brain damage. Okay, but Choo Choo, if you flipped what side she's on, Choo Choo is just a full-on space racist. Oh, no, mm-hmm. she is... Ex- <laughs> what, what do you mean like, flip what side she's on? She is a space racist. We root for her because, oh yeah, she's on the right side of history, but make no mistake, she would be a confederate with a different colored hat. Mm. <laughs> uh, uh, but like the power imbalance between the earth noids and the space noids is so so weighted mm-hmm. in oh, favor yes. of oh i think it was when choo-choo got scolded it was like well you know if if, if the tables were turned it was like yeah but the tables aren't turned no. you know like choo-choo has been shit on her whole life for where you know but because of where she was born and we find out later that a lot of the people in the conniving bully camp were earthian war orphans uh who were just adopted by the space elites in order to like continue to do their bidding and 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 um indoctrinate their children into their anti-earthian ways in a lot of ways so that's i yes I hear your point, but I still see Choo Choo as a, a righteous comrade. Just, just throwing it out there. And yes, the violence was a little extreme, but those bullies could have mm-hmm. could have killed somebody. They really could have. It. They did fuck with like, yeah. I I don't know even know why the teach. You're right. Like this was the moment where the teachers like you could see what fucking happened to the mech. Just let her use a different one. <laughs> It's clear like there's yeah. some sabotage happening here. Why are you and she and you're wait she's wasting everyone's time because of it. Why even mm-hmm. bother? Um I I did think the teacher had a good excuse in the moment in that episode, yeah. which is this is a failure of your maintenance checks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And also, you know, the the school faculty are all front employees also, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so that that's another thing is that it, their ultimate responsibility is to the companies that fund them uh, right. at least as much as it is to the kids. Do you think that there's, mm-hmm. I mean, and of course, I'm sure there's some, um, like, 
you know, anti-Earth house stuff happening behind that. Like the teachers are probably oh, less, yeah. less supportive of that. I don't know if they care much about, uh, <laughs> I don't know if they care much about Saleta specifically, uh, or if they see her as a threat, who knows? What do we think about Saleta just in general? Like, uh, like her, her characterization and, and everything like that. Uh, cause like, I would say I was very, I got very tired of the, the vocal performance of the character because especially that first bit, because like uh, the whole muttering and stuttering thing, like it got really tiresome because they did it so much with her. They hit it so hard. And it just, it, it's just something that just bothered me when I first watched it and I got over it. But, um, like she's just like way, way too pure for this world. I do think just because something is intentional doesn't necessarily make it a good choice, mm-hmm. but I think that them, you know, they wanted to start her in a certain place so that they mm-hmm. could have her grow and turn into somebody else. And, and, and yeah, like all of the gasping and stammering and, um, blushing and running away and not, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, just being, be, being a proverbial cinnamon roll, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, I honestly think the dub does a better job of making it not annoying. Okay. Um, you know, I, as I've, I've watched, a good portion of this in both sub and dub form. I haven't like watched the whole show twice or anything, but I was like switching back and forth yeah. and rewatching a couple episodes here and there. And, and I, I kind of think that Sulita's dub performance grates less mm. than the original Japanese VO, but you know, the yeah. original Japanese VO, once the growth starts happening, yeah. once, once kind of the scales are knocked from her eyes, so to speak, um, yeah. It, it hap- you know, yeah. she gets to go those places. I feel like I was expecting her to move past that level of unsureness sooner. Uh, they they spend mm-hmm. a fair bit of time in core one of her pretty much, you know, if you look at her, I don't know, episode eight versus episode one, she's kind of, she she's slightly more confident, but she's still like very, very, very nervous. Um, And I mean, Sure, I would guess that's relatable. I know a lot of people found that like a relatable trait, but like, <laughs> I mean, she's also a homeschooled kid being socialized for the first time as a teenager. Yeah, I guess she was all, she was only hanging out with other adults prior because like mm-hmm. she was piloting the mech, uh, like helping out with like mining accidents and stuff. Mm-hmm. So she wasn't she wasn't like you know not talking to people but also apparently the people that she were talking to didn't like her very much yeah uh so the, like the other adults uh, at least that's what i saw in the in the supplementary stuff that i read on the website i think she's a character who could have doomed this series for me except they did walk that line well mm-hmm. and i think a lot of that is the fact that they are at first playing up no socialization, mama's girl. And then there are moments in there where she has confidence, where she has a stubborn streak, but they don't call it out. So 
I thought the performance matched that because there are mm-hmm. times, even early on, where she is no longer stuttering. She is speaking from the heart and then immediately retracting it because she realizes what she's done and thinks she's overstepped. Mm-hmm. But there's... The performance carried it, and I think the character did not at any point feel cloying to me in a way that graded. However, I also think the design works to lead into I'm a war criminal. Bleh. (laughs) You know... Like, of all the people in this show, like, the least amount, not actually the least, but some, like, almost the least amount of blood is on Saleta's hands, personally. Uh, Everybody around her. Other than the fact that she's the only person who gets literal blood on her hands. (laughs) That is is the thing, right? That's that's not true. Guel uh, picked up that that one dying person in his mech, uh, and that that child. But she got it on her actual hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, for, she gets it <laughs> on top of like half her suit. Yeah. 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 She like almost pratt falls into that thing. It played off of Miorane's uh, Tsundere routine really prominently yes. at mm-hmm. first but then Miorane for the middle of Coer 1 uh Core 1 kind of takes a back seat and i think that might be where uh it's like without Miorane to play off of as much i started to notice a lot more of it mm-hmm. but then like you have um the the speech at the incubation dinner where she remembers Miorne being like you know st- uh, stand up straight and you know she starts off with her her routine and then is like wait no I've got this I can do this and and then also just I mean it's like the other big turning point for me is a, to bring it back to that team battle like when 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 Choo Choo's sniper shot goes through um, Sadiq's mech and uh, at you know out of nowhere, not only was it the sickest moment of a Gundam fight so far, but I also felt like it was the moment where where Soleta realized that she had other people in her corner besides just Miorane and her mom, and it allowed her to open up a little bit after that. You know, I kind of wish I got we got more out of the uh, like the, the dueling council. I feel like the dueling council is just set dressing. Um, I mean, some of the characters do more because obviously, like Lauda gets more involved uh, with the plot, well, especially later on. But uh, I think the school is a bait and switch by and large. Yeah, I think exactly. it's modeled after Utena so hard. To get the buzz out, mm-hmm. to try and lure people in that way, to get you thinking that's what this is, oh, except we have some trappings of capitalism, and then it's just gone. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Core 2 just crashes the school. Actually, the end of Core 1 just crashes the school plot into the real world, and then it's just the world after that. Yeah. And the school is a setting. But yeah, you're totally right about that. I mean, they literally destroy the school. <laughs> Not like completely, <laughs> but like, Jesus fucking Christ. We'll talk about it. Um, all right. So we have to talk about episode 12. The... the the, mm-hmm. the 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 big um the big pancaking <laughs> uh-huh <laughs> like man people were fucking so 
flipping out about that moment. And like, I mean, I, the thing that really sells it to me is just the way um, Soleta's face is so blank, like, or like not blank, but like almost like ignorant of the fact she's Untouched. covered it with blood and she's smiling mm-hmm. and it's fucking creepy. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that moment really, really sold it. Uh, sold it for well, me. You said Miorine has Sundari vibes. That's Suleta who has been the pure uh-huh. and innocent figure walking out full Yandere yeah. completely unaware. Mm-hmm. Look what I did for you, senpai. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, I guess it's, it's also funny that, you know, the blood kind of ties in with like the tomatoes a little bit. Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> God, the tomatoes. So, the same uh, tomatoes. Yeah. The tomatoes, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously it starts but, off as like the, oh, yes, this is this is the Rose Garden equivalent of this series. And then it comes back in such a big way in the finale. <laughs> yeah. Deus Ex Tomatia. <laughs> man, I, uh, I cannot believe that all these people just bite right into a fucking tomato with no salt on it what psychopaths yeah you realize uh, i'll just eat tomatoes randomly right uh it needs salt especially like a big one the big fleshy one like that like a grape tomato sure yeah but oh, no, okay three bites three they, bites down the hatch and you know uh uh tomato apple sickos aside uh <laughs> If you've been eating processed gruel forever and then someone hands you a ripe, fresh tomato, I would probably chomp on a ripe, fresh onion at that point. Raw. Like, you know, just being so sick of space food uh, that it's something fresh is going to be incredible. I like I told people I didn't like tomatoes for the longest time because what was actually true is that I didn't like 95% of tomatoes and that top 5% was really good, but it happened so rarely yep. that I just told people that nah, tomatoes like raw tomatoes aren't my thing. And then I went to Spain mm. and I listen, I know that that is the product of horrific extractive colonialism, all of that. Spain knows how to grow a fucking tomato. I'll tell you what. Uh, and I ate some of those just raw dog in it and they were delicious. So if those were as good as the tomatoes that I had in Barcelona, then, then, you know, Look, maybe I get it. They, they have so many fucking tomatoes. They just rub, rub it on their bread. <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah. fucking rules. Pan, pan y tomate is so good. I, I, I ate that every fucking day on my honeymoon in Spain. Uh, it was Hell delicious. Yeah. Before we get into season two, I want to take just a little break to do a little just Gundam things where uh, I want to like highlight a couple of the characters that have archetypes and the ways that it plays on some of those archetypes. So like in a lot of ways, Ghoul uh, Jeturk is Jared Mesa, but they, but he lives long enough that he can have character growth. Um <laughs> Which is nice, uh, because he's this, you know, this guy who believes that he he knows what's best and he's so impulsive and he's so proud, but he has this, like, 
profound sense of personal justice and that that you know like also makes him mad at what he perceives as personal slights but it um that kind of self-righteousness ends up saving him in the end uh which is not something that a lot of other uh, uh ghoul like gundam characters get the opportunity to do that's not really a spoiler for pa i mean it is technically but like just broadly well, speaking i want to throw out gwell feels to me like what happens if garma doesn't die a war hero oh yeah that oh uh-huh that too um the other one I want to throw out there is that Shadik thinks he's Shar, but he's actually Masha Marcello, uh, which, you know, I, I do think he's the closest thing to a Charchetype that we have in in uh, in G-Witch. But the focus, the camera is just not focused on him being the scheming guy who is going to enact all of his own plans because he doesn't trust anybody else. You, you want to say that he feels more char-like than the masked woman who is running shit from the shadows? <laughs> yes, because I think Char is good and not evil. I'm, okay. It's it's specific and listen, listen, Shadik also not a good guy, but uh but he he was an indoctrinated war orphan who ended up kind of repenting in his own way. So whatever. Also, Shadik is full frontal. The most cucked char in history. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And um, someone's gonna say that seems very uh, that seems very alt right of you. No, I mean that literally. Full frontal has to sit on a chair and watch. <laughs> That's um, ironic, given his name. Uh huh. Uh, You'll get there. You'll get there. Okay. Uh, the other, we can have another, you know, just Gundam things uh, at the end, but I also want to call out, uh, they did Haro so dirty by making him, <laughs> like, uh, a, a a tool of a lot of the antagonists and also the Haro confessional booth and also the Haro on the gund legs with guns attached. Just, like, don't. Don't do my Haro like that. Don't turn Haro into a bad guy, please. <laughs> Look, I have bad news for you. I have a Black Tri-Stars Haro. <laughs> Haros were already war criminals. All right. All right. Fair. Um, if there's anything you want to say, Matt, I was just going to do a bit of bridge talk between the two halves. I mean, honestly, I feel like the thing I was going to mention, which is... uh. uh what Gwell does to his father really just kind of comes in and core two. So we can, we can do that. We can mm -hmm. make yeah. that move. So part of why I'm very firm on the Gundam episode lengths need to stay low until they can be trusted with more again, is that the last few Gundam shows, especially have done this split series thing. IBO is one of them. And, they did a lot of retooling between the two halves, usually in response to social media and toy sales. And there's a little of that in this, but it didn't take as much time off. So basically what we know is they're like, oh, people seem to like Gwell, so he's going to get a little more of a role. And I, I don't think there's anything that seems to be blatant meddling so much as, oh, God, oh, God, we've got to make it to the finish line. Mm -hmm. in the second half but 
in general, there's been a whole lot of... I think... I can't say more on this because it's going to be covered soon. Iron-Blooded Orphans is probably one of the most blatant cases of... We have decided that we are going to make an entirely different show with the remaining cast. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And this kind of has a bit of that, but everything feels like it flows together more. I think part of that is that, again, it was a short break. No no staff changes happened. You didn't have a whole year off for executives to talk about things and run things by children and focus groups. But just something that I was dreading going into season two, and I'm glad it didn't really seem to kick in. Yeah, that that's very true. And uh, one of the reasons why Iron-Blooded Orphans disappointed me so much was because the second season, second half, whatever you want to call it, was so profoundly different from what came before. Um, it, it, it felt there was a there, there there's a difference in tone and a difference in content between the two cores but it does still feel of a piece when you're like blazing all the way through if you mm-hmm. watch this as a single unit it feels like there's a natural escalation yeah iron blooded orphan season 1 shares a lot in common with the capitalism will kill us all angle of this show yeah. And Iron-Blooded Orphan Season 2 is a Shakespearean farce tragedy. <laughs> yeah. And in my opinion, it fucking sucks. Uh, but um, it, it, speaking of that, wow, what was... Gosh, there are so many characters who are good but get comparatively little screen time. And so I'm, for, I'm blanking on her name. But um, the... Like auntie like doctor figure who mm. supports earth house but was like the other survivor of the vanities incident who gets basically like extorted and blackmailed into being a double agent in in Bill all of Moria, these ways right? yes 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 that's who i'm talking about i loved her breakdown and confession because it was just saying the theme loudly of like the intersection of capitalism and war forces make people to make deals with the devil and gives them seemingly no choice but to continue the cycle of violence even if that's just not what they want oh you mean the episode entitled cycle of sin yeah that one Uh that one (laughs) which ran the same week as uh the strange fates of two generations of young people something something from birdie wing yeah <laughs> oh yeah oh my god oh my yeah. god uh-huh. uh-huh yeah just very on the nose similarities between those two shows running simultaneously totally it was so funny what did y'all think of miorine at the beginning of core two where she is kind of like not just distancing herself from Saleta, but also being kind of cruel by being like, Oh, well, Saleta won't be needed soon anymore to like other people like, you know, saying, Hey, listen, I need you too. But in ways that make Saleta feel like dirt. What did, what did y'all think of that? <sighs> so I felt like, <clears throat> 
there's a whole thing with her in particular. Like she, she really runs hot and cold and it's mostly cold to be fair. Um, but like the whole thing of like, I need to cut her off and cut her out of this situation in order to save her because she's not going to, you know, she's basically going to get spit up or chewed up and spit out by the world. Uh, like, I can understand why that decision was the one she went with, but I don't know. It just feels like there are times when she is trusting of Suleta, but doesn't tell her that she's being trusted. And it does seem like she's just avoiding her completely. And then there's on top of that, there's the whole bit where she's, you know, terrified of her because, you know, she murdered someone in front of her. Uh, pretty violently like that's 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 a separate matter (laughs) before all of that other stuff happens um i don't know i feel like it's a real failure of murine to like relate to like understand like what selena's thinking because selena's someone who's like her feelings are so much on the surface and they're so Mm -hmm. easy to read and she's so predictable in how she feels about things I mean, it could just be she didn't have time or desire to think about that when she was, you know, treating, uh, you know, being distant or being cold to her. Um, And maybe that's just because of the way she was raised. Uh, You know, I don't know if, you know, it was just the fact that she was living with Delig mostly as a single parent. I forget when her mother died. I think her mother died very early. Yeah, I don't think she remembers her mother much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's more that Miorine is very much feeling cornered in the whole thing with Prospera just very blatantly showing that she has this girl by the strings and Miorine has already fallen in love with her to some degree by this point, Mm -hmm. but can't risk setting her off, Mm -hmm. can't. And so it turns into a Harry and the Henderson situation where it has to be, no, go away. I don't want you here. Nobody wants you here. And it's a, I'm going to get you out of the picture for your own good and hope you forgive me because this mm-hmm. is the only way I can see that you will be safe. Yeah. The, I, it is very teenager behavior yeah. uh, of like, okay, I yeah. It, it also, the... The thing that really broke my heart with all of it is that um, they had that sobbing heart to heart where where Mjorne admits that she does actually need Saleta. Yeah. And then she continues with her plan mm-hmm. because she's trying to cut her off from her mom because her mom's bad news. And that was, it was just like, oh, but you've admitted you need her and you love her and you want to count on her, but you are not respecting her mm-hmm. and respecting her, her choices and autonomy in this situation. And it was just uh, the way that, the way that Miorne says my Mercurian bumpkin in the dub just broke my heart because like, there's still affection in her voice there, even as she just like pulled an ultimate betrayal mm-hmm. and took away the only other thing that Soleta cares about besides Miorne and her mom, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, watching this show, you know, all of those big emotional beats, 
there was something about it when I was watching it that I felt removed from it enough to where it didn't like make me feel bad, bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Huh. Like I felt huh. like kind of like, all right, yeah, that's where we're going. Okay. Um, and I can't tell you why that was like, especially when I was like, you know, the, the funny thing is at the end of uh, the season, I felt a lot more strongly about the ending of Birdie Wing than this. I can't tell you why. Mm. <laughs> but I was Matt like, Marcus, I didn't feel bad when we had the string of episodes named Our Empty Selves, Not the Best Way, uh-huh. The End of Hope, uh-huh. What Can We Do Now? <laughs> I, okay, the, the one bit, okay, the school shooting was a bit much. Uh, huh. I really fucking hated what they did with the Earth Girls, actually. Uh, I, I think that that's a different part of the conversation but um for sure mm-hmm. uh, i want to talk about it, it but yeah it is very interesting because uh, um i i love gundam a lot but mm-hmm. this one actually tugged my heartstrings more directly mm-hmm. and more actively than a lot of previous gundam did a lot of previous gundam it's like in the digestion of it where i'm like sure. oh my god that's heavy yeah uh whereas this one like um, you know, I like got out of my bed and cheered during that during the team battle from core one. I cried during the I need you heart to heart when they hug each other tighter. Like there 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 was a lot that did mm-hmm. hit me right in the gut in this show. So it's interesting that you were yeah. a little bit removed from it. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's it could also just be where my head's at right now. Cause there's just so many fucking things going on in my life that I have to care about. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes a piece of media touches me and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, and for whatever reason, I, I like this show a lot, but it, I wasn't like, Oh fuck, man. Did you, did you see what happened with the, you know, the, like the little girl died. Oh, that was so sad. I'm like, I was like, oof, that stings. And then I just <laughs> moved on. <laughs> I wonder if part of that is because uh, like this show has a lot of emotional moments, but they don't ever really breathe. It's like, okay, big emotional moment on to the next crisis. Okay. I would say the the bit that probably felt the most, like I felt the most for was the way that Saleta reacts to that betrayal where she kind of just picks herself up and starts pretend like acting more or less normal and like that's the that that's the part where I'm like, oh, I know that feeling. Uh, I know what it's like to try to do that. That that sucks. And really, I I kind of thought of her arc as going feral. <laughs> she definitely amps it up a little bit, but like, it's the thing where everyone around her just goes like, "You should not be okay. Why are you looking like trying to pretend like you're okay?" <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Maybe but... I'm just used to that being my default move. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think of yourself as feral? <laughs> have, you at, have you looked at how I live? Yeah. <laughs> what does the bat describe what you see on my camera for the people at home? I'd love to hear this. What Chaos. do you focus on first? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Bags on the floor next to workout clothes and a curtain draped over crates of media, which are being held up by the weight of a DDR pad. And my <laughs> lamp functions as a bedside table because I sleep on a mattress on the floor. <laughs> See, I wasn't going to say any of that. I was just going to say chaos. So, uh... <laughs> 
Would I describe myself as feral? Yes, I put the feral and feral queer. <laughs> uh, all right, fair, fair. Yeah, the to to piggyback off of Matt, her like little self speech of like just stay useful, just mm-hmm, stay mm-hmm. useful, just stay useful was rough to hear for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This idea that you're like hanging on by a thread and you like need to fucking, you know, keep up some sort of front or else uh everything will fall apart. Uh and then like we get the opposite from Miorine when she is feeling the proverbial blood on her hands where she goes deep into depresso mode. Uh I when when Saleta finally gets through to Miorine and uh, she gets up and opens the door herself. I, for whatever reason, fully expected her to be just, like, naked. Uh, <laughs> the way that they filmed that, I thought that she was going to be opening her door just, like, an absolute mess, not having showered, but also just, like, nude. Okay, and I'm glad they didn't make that choice. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I feel like if the characters were older, we would have. Yeah, you're but probably right. I don't think we actually had... Can you think of any episode, like any actual nudity scenes or anything like that in this? No, no, no. It was. And this is a. Gr- yeah, I would say the 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 most fan servicey that this show gets is the fact that they gave Miorne stockings. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah. I don't think there was ever a moment where you saw someone undressing nope. or changing outfits or bathing or anything like. The original Gundam had that. It had incredibly homoerotic shower scenes in the first 12 episodes. Yeah. Yeah, I was was not expecting when I watched OAith MS Team to be seeing 14-year-old titties. Because that's a thing that happens. In that show, mm-hmm. <laughs> like the, the the one mm-hmm. little the one teenage girl is just like boing. I'm like, great, love it. So, Ugh. a thing you might not know yet, Matt, is that. Code Geass, which, as you mentioned, this writer worked yep. on, uh, changed time slots between seasons one and two, and so a lot of things have to be rolled back for the start of season two. Oh, so 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 there's less tits in season two. <laughs> Fewer. To begin with. Fewer. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, uh, I definitely think some of that, and the fact that this was Gundam yeah. on a major network might have Mm -hmm. limited some of what the writers did. And I think it works to the show's benefit largely that the, there's not fan service as a distraction. I mean, it's a pretty, none of us are going to have to tell people when they watch this, just ignore that scene. Uh 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 Yeah. It's a, there's no bathtub. It's a pretty sexless show. uh, Mm -hmm. Broadly speaking. Mm -hmm. But also a ro- a romanceful show, sure. like you know, d- 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 I I know we're jumping the gun. I know we're we said we we're going to talk about about it at the end, but like you know, this this is this. open to interpretation. <laughs> uh-huh. Sure, sure. I've been Banco. waiting to drop that. You gave me the Fucking perfect sure. shot. Oh uh, God, <laughs> whoever that was who said that. Uh, Bandai PR. Yeah, but yeah, those mm-hmm. guys. Fuck them. God, that's so mm-hmm. stupid. Which again. Again, speaks to uh, G-Witch catching them off guard, you know, Yeah. Uh, which is, I mean, which is just like 
come on. Fucking come on. Like, obviously it's a romance, <sighs> you fucks. Like, it's in the script. Like, they're a, married. They, 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 oh, yeah. They have, yeah, there's, there's an explicit no change in translation reference to my sister-in-law uh-huh, in the finale. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, okay, here's here's the thing that I, I really liked about the first episode of the show is that they literally just say straight up, oh, by the way, queer shit is fine in this universe. Don't worry about it. <laughs> like episode mm-hmm. one, they go they go drop that. And for me, like like watching it at the time, I'm like, oh thank God. They at least like cleared away all of the oh no, they're just really good friends bullshit that would probably like plague at least a part of the fandom the whole way through right because they're like okay it's on the table that that is what could happen it's probably what is happening because i mean there are people that still watch utana and be like yeah no i don't see any romance there and i'm like head explodes Mm -hmm. like it was yeah it was more explicit than that and then you know to come to the end where yes they made it obvious yes there was no kiss yes there was no wedding ceremony that we saw wedding photos or anything like that but it was there in the text, and then this fucking thing happened. It, the funniest thing about this is that this happened, like, had the universe not completely shat on me the last two weeks, we would have recorded this before any of this happened. <laughs> and it would have come mm-hmm. out afterwards, and it would have been hilarious. Yeah, it took nearly a month after the finale aired yeah. for them to make a statement about this. Well, and it's a retraction, yeah. is the thing. They originally said, oh, yeah, there's a wet, like, they are married, and they're like, well, JK, well, just no kidding. No hobo. How about this? Th- let's let's catch people up for those who might not have heard about this, yeah. but did hear about the show. In a recent episode of Gundam Ace magazine, there was an interview that did talk about the two, Suleta and Miorne, as being married in the epilogue of the show. The digital version of this magazine then had the line about marriage removed and a day or so later was a Bandai PR statement that said the events of the finale were open to interpretation which has become the new you are worthy of my grace (laughs) among queer fans (laughs) but the problem is this A came nearly a month to the day after the events of the finale so it's out there. B, it's in the show. Uh-huh. And C, this is one of those things where, again, the executives were not paying attention to this show while it was running. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And nobody seems to know what the final event was that brought things up. Maybe it was someone heard about this magazine. Who knows? All of a sudden, mm-hmm. there have to be retractions and statements from higher up. And the entire time, the voice actresses, the writers, and everyone are just being like, yo, I am re-Xing this thing where lesbians are kissing. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, and the... God. It's... I, I do wonder how much of the show's popularity is tied explicitly to the fact that it's a queer romance up front with, you know two young women um i mean i'm sure i know in the spaces i hang out with that was a big draw um i mean oh uh, yeah the (laughs) Uh the the yuri spaces Uh explicitly Uh that you Uh hang out in Uh Uh i mean 
you can also let's just talk the about fan art. while we're while we're dealing with the fallout of this. Do you know what the one fucking suit that didn't sell anywhere is, even while everything else in this line is flying off the shelves? Which one? Hmm. Shaddix. Nobody <laughs> gives a shit about Shaddix's suit. Well, because he sucks. <laughs> I even a good suit. They can't fucking move that robot. <sighs> like, I've heard some stores are giving it away with other purchases. God, amazing. That's incredible. Amazing. The Dragon Warrior NES of Gunpla. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, that's also, it's like, Shadik is such... He's instrumental to the story, but he is absolutely my least favorite of, like, the characters that move the plot forward. Here mm-hmm. lies Shadik. He never scored. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's the only character who gets... No victory whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Honestly, deservedly so. Uh, oh, yeah, no. <laughs> Sucks ass. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and, and it wants us to be sympathetic to him somewhat. A little bit. Right. It's a the, little bit. I think, I think one of the big show's kind of oversights for me is that they, they do a good job of painting a lot of shitty actions with mm-hmm. uh justific like backstory justifications that show why that why these characters might go a certain way right. but what that leads to is that they kind of want you to be a little sympathetic towards everyone at some point and yeah. for some folks it really doesn't land for me well I I was just going to say, it's very funny when you look at it at the end of the show, which who are the characters that get actually punished and who are the characters that get forgiven? The only ones that actually get punished and like that live, let's just say people who don't die um, Mm -hmm. are Shadi and Nika. And that's Mm -hmm, it. mm -hmm. Like, everybody else gets let off the hook for all of their war crimes. And it's so weird when you just think like, if, if everybody was let off the hook, fine. Or if just Shadik was like held accountable because he basically, not even that, it just made himself the face. Yeah. He made himself the face. He made himself the fall guy. Fine. Mm-hmm. He made a noble sacrifice of himself as some kind of um, show of um, humility or something uh, like looking for forgiveness or whatever. And, but like Nika is also like goes to jail for like three years. Uh, three years. Yeah, three years. Yeah. So like it's why and, why punish her and, if like you're gonna let Prospera just walk away? Especially because Nika was put was thrust into an impossible situation. Right. Yeah. Like she she was she felt like she had no other choice. Yeah. Um, I I lit up because. Uh, I speaking of punishment and fan service, there was one other moment of fan service, and that is mm. the boy who yep. turns Nika in being forced to give that one bully girl a pedicure. Yep, as that. and there's and there's that there's that foot shot. That that is, is another. I was going. I was thinking of that scene too, but I didn't want to get into it just because it happens. <laughs> and it's also like the whole like uh, like she puts the lollipop in his mouth. <laughs> In that yeah. same scene. Yeah. Like he's, he is so fucking, I mean, I wouldn't say whipped because that's not 
what's happening here. Dominated. He's just absolutely being dominated. When you bring in 17 directors to finish the final set of episodes, something's going to slip in. Uh, yeah, that yeah. and it 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 also is tonally so out of place for the uh-huh. for where the show is at that point. I, I just like I didn't I hated it, but I also started cackling yeah. despite hating it. It was just like fucking pedicure punishment uh-huh. at this point, really. And like, yeah, that Look, that was very goofy to me. I mean, that that character in general. We're talking about Cecilia. Uh, she's just let's just make a hot girl who is just sassy and just that's it. Like her thing is just to be yeah. there and be hot with her, you know, her thigh thing is to <laughs> mid thigh socks. She's basically an influencer whose entire description on TikTok is I am going to cause problems on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, she she actually feels like a teenager, which is funny because she's like the one sex bot character uh she's not but she's not actually that because it's a chaste show but it's yeah. like the closest that the show gets uh but she's the one who does feel like she's just like eh, this shitty thing might be fun for a while let's try it mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah I, I i mean i don't know really hey, what babe, deal i'll let is. you see something if you stick something in that socket <laughs> go I'm ahead just stick the that. fork in there she would absolutely try and hot girl her way to get someone else to do stupid shit. Is my I mean, totally, like in her totally. in the finale, she just shows up girl bossing in a suit. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, um, Matt, did you want to talk about the two Earth witches that are that are part of um yes. Donna Fold? Because I because wa- yes. I want to get into Donna Fold. Yeah, let's let's talk I, about I, Donna because that that is like the big. I feel like that was like the best part of the second core for me or like the most powerful part was Mm -hmm. i mean yeah so yeah they're the two they're the two uh gundam pilots who are with the daughter fold who are the like resistance fighter group from earth they get smuggled question mark they got they got into the school and Mm -hmm. the, the thing that i really don't like about what they did with that i mean for one thing when you you know, I was talking about like big picture. What happened to the characters that got punished? But you also think big picture. Who are the characters that died? Um, mm-hmm. Both of them end up dead, and one of them I'm willing. You know, out of the three dead cast characters, they're basically those two and uh, Elon Four <laughs> are the only ones that mm-hmm. like straight up die. Um, what are, like Noria? ends up spending so much time being upset that um Sophia basically killed herself on purpose like she she went out doing yeah. what she loved and that was not Zuleta's fault necessarily totally like she could have backed down or tried something else but no she wanted to 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 up her score to 6 or whatever it was and it killed her and then you know uh, Noria ends up externalizing that blame. I mean, granted, it is kind of the fault of the whole system, et cetera, et cetera, and the school is part of the system. Mm-hmm. But, like, I don't know. That felt really hollow to me. And then the turn her character from understandable, like, sympathetic and, like, you can understand her motivations to being like, I'm just going to do a fucking school shooting and blow everybody up. And then... As at, at a brief moment where it looks like she might get a little bit of redemption, she just gets killed unceremoniously 
And it's like, it just mm-hmm. feels like a fucking waste, especially because she spent half the season in a fucking room hiding from the rest of the rest yeah. of the story. Yeah. And Sophia bothered me because she, I felt like was the most rote. Yes. Archetype. Yep. Uh, of any of the characters, you know, just like the girl whomst loves killing is, 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 and, and that's it. And, you know, it's like she, she has this hatred for Soletta because Soletta doesn't get affected by the data storm. And she is the one, she's the one teenager of all of the teenagers who are like, no, you idiot. These are war machines. These are instruments of death. You dumbass. Like, what are you talking about? But then she just, she, all she wants to do is go on a murder rampage and it's extremely one note. And, you know, we don't spend enough time with the two of them to see their bond other than her, other than Sophia being like, I'm going to, cause problems and uh i forget her the other one's uh, name noria um noria yeah and 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 noria being like no you you know stop calm down and then for for her to be like no you killed like the one person that mattered to me it was like well show me that then mm-hmm. just some meta textual reading sophie and noria definitely feel like they were written for something that did not match what ended up on screen, and Mm -hmm. for all that certain parts of the fandom took to them after where season one left off, I don't know if that was just, like Matt, some of the spaces I am in, but also, those characters were so the opposite of pushed, that even while the series was flying off shelves in plastic model form, both of their suits are P-Bandai exclusives. Hmm. If you are unaware of what that means, that means that they were held up as something that only people who were willing to pay collector's prices would want. Oh, and yeah. a much more limited run. Mm. Uh-huh. Yeah, it- they show up in OP2, and it's like, do these two really deserve to show up in OP2? It's... Yeah. I feel like something definitely changed with their arc along the way that they just fall off a cliff immediately. Yeah, because they mm-hmm. they were scary uh, during the the plant assault. Yeah, um, yeah. And then, and then when they become a bigger piece, it yeah, it like... It just it that it it also I share it does it something about them doesn't work for me. Yeah, yeah. I think some of the writing problems in the second half of the show can't be meddling. Some of it definitely feels like this was a little too seat of the pants because mm. nothing seems like they were told, don't do this. They were clearly allowed to get away with a lot more than they were supposed to, based on the current state of things. <laughs> but clearly a couple of characters just either got forgotten mm. or someone wrote something that just did not land with where they wanted to land the plane. And so Sophie and Noria just got kicked out of it without parachutes. Hmm. I mean, like, and the funny thing is that it ends up supporting... Elon five who 
sucks. He still sucks. I still don't like him. And in, in a way that felt also rushed for him, frankly. Right. It his his noble turn does not feel that earned, no, uh, especially because he was such a fucking male manipulator to start uh-huh, court, too. Uh-huh. And, and he just goes, uh, sorry, I was creeping on you for, like, you know, several months. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm a good guy now. Uh-huh. I See, I think Elon is the successful version of Shadik in that he's a piece of shit. But he's a piece of shit who can actually play the game and stay a step ahead. Well, there's the problem is that there there are two of them, three of them. There are three of them, and they all are doing different things and are approaching things differently. Yeah, I'm I'm referring to the original Elon or the non-numbered. Yeah, the one who leaves an email going, "You all suck, bye," (laughs) and gets out of Dodge before everything goes to hell. Yeah. Uh yeah um fair that guy kind of rules <laughs> in his own way he does uh like fucking Elon for though get like <laughs> the scene after he got murked where Miorane and Soleta are sitting on the park bench waiting for him is just it looks like the um sad guy on the bus happy guy on the bus meme <laughs> because Miorane like doesn't trust him and is like he's not going to show up and maybe something awful happened to him and Soleta is just like waiting like happily big smile on her face doesn't know that he he has died uh or that he, she shouldn't trust him uh very funny but yeah no there's I I do think that Elon, the Elon triumvirate is more successful overall mm-hmm. than Shadik is, yeah. but also the the turn the the apology is rushed and the nobility in return feels a little bit unearned. See, I don't think it's nobility. I think it is just straight up full dirtbag. Okay. <laughs> Well, that that would that would definitely recolor him for me for sure. Uh-huh. Also, for those uh, at home who have not watched this or are not familiar with these character names, it is E L A N. We are not praising the Twitter guy. Oh God! However, yeah. if you it's not like Twitter anymore, please just imagine <laughs> that fat face on Bart Simpson's body, and that's basically uh, Elon getting murked repeatedly. It's fun. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, yeah. God, the the, um, the the plot waiting room is so funny. It's just so blatantly funny that they're just hiding in there for half the season. Uh-huh. Oh, it's so silly. I think that's just an issue this writer has. We've called it out in Code Geass. Where, yeah. Okay, we're, we're laying what's clear in hindsight is setting up a future event, but mm-hmm. we're doing it. By showing someone do a thing that you don't see a conclusion to for three episodes, and then we'll flash back to five minutes after what you saw. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. I do want to get into the Donna Fold overall, though, because I think it's the most sympathetic that a revolutionary terrorist group has been portrayed in a Gundam mm-hmm. in a little while, which is interesting because uh, a lot of a lot of readings of Universal Century Gundam find a lot of 
arguments for the the necessity of revolutionary violence, but Mm -hmm. um, because Tomino is so cynical about humanity, it's always shot through with that. And this one, you know, it's like we we have the two murder teen witches um, and we have the people who are using the Dawn of Fold. But then when we see the Dawn of Fold base get assaulted, when we when mm-hmm. we like see like flashbacks to the reasons why a lot of them joined the Dawn of Fold, it was just like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's justified for them to be a part of this group. Absolutely. Like they they are fighting for something material and concrete and they're not just doing untargeted violence. Sybil's got her hand up. Oh, the monkey's paw that's, is curling. That's the monkey's paw curling because you know what the next Gundam series, the, the CG one is, right? No. The Xeon Apologist thing? Oh, no. Okay. So, the upcoming six-episode miniseries uh, made entirely in Unreal Engine 5 is called Gundam Requiem for Vengeance, taking place in UC0079. It happens 11 months after the Revolutionary War, which it is called because it's told from the perspective of the Xeon army through a Zaku pilot named Iria Sorari. Oh, I'm so nervous about that. And it's by a Western studio who are hired on because they did Warhammer fan films. Oh, no. Great. Great. You should have seen the faces these two made. Oh, my God. So good. Well, it's, you know, they... Whoever was in charge of Unicorn managed to steer Unicorn, the anime, away from the full-on fash apologia of of the light novels. Um, I am not confident for lightning to strike twice. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, this is going to be a completely original thing done by Western fans who love Warhammer. I'm sure this will oh, only go well. God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I thought that they were... You know, not even having that context with Tomino's, you know, tendencies, they did seem very sympathetic to me. Um, I mean, obviously, their methods are extreme and that's the point. But, you know, that I feel like that they framed that in a at least in a in a way where it's like you understand why it came to that and why the um, like the odds they're up against are so big. They can just take any shot that they can and oftentimes that means Mm -hmm. but the thing is like the whole school thing like again i just the whole noria's rampage at the end just just put such a sour taste in my mouth for that whole part of the show whereas i felt Mm. like it did a really good job of of doing character work for uh guel who then ends up being one of my favorite characters of that season um yeah like they actually turned him like it helped turn him around. And it was also very funny that he had like a Shinji during, um, uh, Ava rebuild moment where they had to force feed him. I thought that was funny uh, that they basically <laughs> yeah. just did that again, <laughs> uh-huh. pretty much after the same moment, which is somebody important to them died. Right. Right. Well, yeah. And then, and then the subsequent assault on the base, like plays out like a horror movie. Yeah. Um, it, it, it really, they, they make the, 
carnage yeah. of it and the terror of it yeah. real, I, I, which I, I fucking love that they fu- that that one fucking dipshit that was like talk it all big is the one who fucks the whole thing up by firing too soon or firing yeah. when he wasn't supposed to. Like you knew that was gonna happen, like you knew it, you felt it, but it, it uh, happened anyway. Uh huh. Well, and you know, Prospera knew it too. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At this point, all I really, ha- I don't really have like overall thoughts. I just have like a collection mm-hmm. of of moments that like popped into my head. Um, the most sicko moment of the entire show to me was when Prospera is talking to uh, Elfrith. Uh, Soleta de- deserves to live a life of freedom as her daughter is floating alone in space, just like sobbing uh-huh. into her normal suit because everything has been taken away from her. And fucking Prospera is like, yes, she deserves to be free of us at this moment. It's like, fuck off, <laughs> you monster. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's just, it is funny how she is selling out so hard for daughter number one. And who knows if she's only daughter number one? I, I mean, I, I thought that people were speculating that there were a lot of Ares because of the gun bits and the whole bit where this like seemed to be more than one of them. Um, mm-hmm. That like, um, the the fact that she just is so cold to her replicate r- r- daughter is just so bizarre to me. Uh, but I guess she is really just seeing her as a tool. But I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm fucking raising a kid right now. You you raise a kid <laughs> like to like teenage years and you still think she's a disposable tool? Man, that's fucking that's tough. I don't know how you and then do it, that. Okay. Okay. If you have space people blow your wife away in front of you, maybe you'll change your mind. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> Thankfully there are no space people, so <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh- You've got um, three years. Oh no! <laughs> uh, Fucking listen. We might not need space people if this uh, if this climate change miracle cure uh, ends up actually proving out. Um, mm-hmm. We'll see. Uh, other little moments here. Um, I God, I, the older student who gives Soleta notes and who ends up getting her, her leg crushed. Um, Petra. I don't remember what her name, Petra. Yeah. Thank you. When, when Soleta was just like, Oh, right. Uh, you were stood up for a date by, by uh, Gwell's little brother. Right. And she goes, you can't just say that. No wonder people don't like you <laughs> was great. Um, Man, I thought she was I loved that. I thought she was dead as fuck. Like, oh yeah, I thought she was fully murked too. It, it honestly, I don't know if that would have been better to do or not, but like, it, like at least in terms of impact. But I was like, oh shit, they just fucking killed her. And then you find out the next episode, like, no, she's just in a coma and probably your legs are crushed. And I'm just like, okay, all right, if you want to leave that open, go ahead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, take that one back, I guess. Uh, yeah, that was. I was expecting her to also wake up and stop the fight between the brothers at the end. And she didn't. Yeah. Uh, it was her other friend who, who steps in and basically says, don't do the fucking obvious thing. Stop it. <laughs> Bye, Sybil. <laughs> <laughs> 
I've been saving that one. <laughs> Just day. gals being pals. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. But another, um, the thing in, what's it called? Plan Zero? No, Quiet, Quiet Zero. zero. The, Quiet Zero. The thing in Quiet Zero that kind of interrupts Elfrith, uh, <sighs> um, do you think that was the other people living in the cosmic death realm, like her dad? Do you think that was when Miorne temporarily hacked, successfully hacked the systems with her mom? Do you think that that was Miorne's mom? Like, what do you think the disturbance in the force was that, that, that caused, um, that caused Soleta to end up living essentially? Well, here's the thing. I just think they wanted to do the ending of The Tempest. <laughs> okay, so they wanted to do the ending of The Tempest, but they also wanted to do the ending of a lot of Gundam shows okay, where okay. a new type Flash projects someone else's consciousness, either dead or alive, into space. And that okay. is what helps people come to a broader understanding. So it's, I yeah, think it's both. Yeah, I, so I mean... I was confused by that because like the whole bit of we found a message in the genetic code of the tomatoes. Okay. That's cute. I guess. Uh, I don't know if that's how genetics work, but okay. Um, uh, you can actually encode things into DNA. This has been a major study over the past five years in a lot of ways up to and including this is real. The fact that they had to start writing code to prevent someone from putting a virus in a DNA sequencer. And the actual test case for that is wild because to make a DNA virus that will affect computers, you have to write code that is completely palindromic because of how the ATCG format of genomes works. Whoa. <laughs> yes. Whoa. And so they did actually make a stack overflow for various sequencers uh, with a completely palindromic piece of code. That's inc that that's insane. That's wild. There are also other people who have used CRISPR to encode memes into their genes. <laughs> oh, good. That's what I need. That's what. That's uh -huh. what yes, uh -huh. I figured I'd give you the really heartwarming story and the most horrifying at once. Someone gets the fucking Justin Roiland NFT encoded oh, into their no. DNA. <laughs> Have you ever just decided that you wanted to be part Doge? Now you can. <laughs> God. <laughs> so much worse Christ. than just getting a fucking bad tattoo. Uh yeah. Yeah. But, but also I, incredibly cyberpunk if you think that you might be able to use your own blood as an anti robot weapon at some point. That is, that, yeah, that is extremely See? cool, mm -hmm, potentially. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. But the, the thing I didn't get about that, so, okay, that would make sense if she used that message and it was unlocking something that either her father or her mother set up. But this was something that was set up by Prospera. Why would Prospera know that phrase? Well, but no, or it was it a joint project between, um, between Pro whatever her Prospera's name was before she was Prospera and yeah. uh, Mjorne's mom. I'm pretty they, sure. Did they work together? That I don't remember. I, I not think that I they, think we saw on camera. Not that we saw on camera, but, but we never Quiet saw Zero's... 
But Quiet Zero specifically was called out as being part of Mjolnir's mom's like huge, huge project, um, and and I you know because it involved growing plants and using plants as a way to connect people. I think that that ended up being part of the like you know psychedelic collective mm-hmm. unconscious that existed in space. Um, it is, re- I mean, it is really interesting to hear your perspective and to call back to yeah. the Tempest as a person who is not as familiar with Gundam because right. when all, you know, it's like when the faces and bodies of dead people came back to talk to the living people, yeah. um, like it was just like, oh, they're doing the Gundam new type moment. Okay. This is another Gundam yeah. thing. And then for, so for you to bring in that perspective, I was like, oh, I guess it is it, doing that, isn't it? Yeah. And like, and that's why like. Prospera lives and Delhi lives and everyone just kind of gets forgiven. It's the exact thing. Like, and I, I believe even like Ariel in the play gets embedded into an object the same way that Ari does. Um, oh my god. The, that fucking the keychain. <laughs> the fucking keychain. <laughs> I'm but, so I'm so glad that neither Miorne or Seleta consciously put their sister into a keychain and it's just something that kind of like weirdly happened because it would be so fucked up to do that on purpose oh my god have you seen have you seen the 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 memes on this uh i have not okay let me see if i can there are so many there's so many but uh i think uh symbol i sent you oh yeah yeah here you go you've sent me a few here's one my favorite is definitely uh a pissed off airy as keychain using wiimotes as uh bits <laughs> uh, no it's switch controllers switch controller funnels amazing uh, yes okay yeah this is this is the one that i i thought was the funniest <laughs> yes <laughs> and it's it's basically oh my god <laughs> Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah, because like, whoops! I actually left my sister, like, who's on my uh, on my bag in our bedroom while uh, I'm cuddling with my wife. Hmm. <laughs> Oops. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good. Uh, there, there's a few of these, but this one's the best one. Um. Okay, another one, another, like, little micro-moment that I just want to call out as being like, oh, good, hell yeah, good, is, um, you know, um, they don't give the title screen for uh, the episode called The End of Hope until... 20 minutes into the 23 minute episode mm-hmm. when all has been lost mm-hmm. and then it's and then it flashes up and it says yeah, yeah i think it's, it's either episode 20 or episode 21 the end of hope and i'm like damn that was good that you, you only get to do that trick once and you used the right moment to do that trick uh-huh uh-huh, uh-huh. uh yeah yeah i think like you know my initial reaction to the ending since we since i was talking about it earlier was really like really we're just gonna hand wave all of this and then when i found out that's the ending of the tempest i go okay but it made me think like when it comes to like reference and borrowing from other pieces of media like did you feel like this walked the line unacceptable like in terms especially in terms of the way that oh yeah went or- Cause like sometimes I feel oh, like yeah. sometimes I feel like it's like, 
okay, I could I could excuse a thing that I thought was weird when it's like, oh, it's a reference to something else. Like, but is that okay that I give it that pass for that reason, or should I expect it to um, do something different? Should I ask of it to do it, that? It it graduated to me from say the line Bart Homestuck reference to uh to like you know actually material to the story Homestuck reference uh, in it, I have not read Homestuck I've re- I've only listened to Homestuck made this I world. think all three but, of us have only listened to the podcast and not read it at all yeah oh no uh, I went deeper oh no how <laughs> course, deep did you of go Sybil you, did. you didn't look at what I was buying during the steam sale did you uh, no, I did not. Did you know that? Did you know that Hive Swap Act Three has yet another release date? Oh, oh my god! No. Incredible! Incredible! Why do you but do yeah, this to it, yourself? Yeah, it, what it, else am I supposed to do when I'm between jobs? <laughs> <laughs> I I'm start playing Blue Reflection soon. Oh, okay. Uh, Godspeed to that. Blue Reflection, uh, but Ray is that the? That's the anime, not the okay. uh, not the JRPG. Okay, because I've heard people play the JRPG and liked it. Shrug. I don't know anything about it other than it's kind of gay. It's very gay. Okay, it's very gay. It's what if the witch from Mercury fucked up? Oh. Wow. Um. But yeah, it. I I I do think that because it was always in service to the story they were trying to tell. Mm -hmm. It never got so blatant that it felt like a say the line Bart moment Mm -hmm. for me. Yeah. I I definitely caught some people off guard. That's for sure. Cause they're like, you let the war criminals off. Like the world just let that go. And there was a funny moment too, where uh, I was talking about this with, uh, with somebody online and they're like, Oh, well, you know, Delling probably is going to, you know, get us some trouble because, you know, there's that whole like one bit in the ending where you see he's like at a press conference, like talking about like, oh, we're looking into this incident. And I'm just like, really bold of you to assume that like a government inquiry is going to lead to an indictment (laughs) and an actual criminal uh, like he actually gets like brought up for crimes, which I mean, it's funny because in this universe, it's going to lead to an assassination. That's probably more likely. Yeah. But imagine, right, imagine but the, that fucking dinner table, right? Imagine that that wedding ceremony. <laughs> He's giving up his daughter to fucking Prosper's oh my daughter. God. Um, Fuck that! Imagine Shattuck as Jack Ruby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I I do think it was also mitigated. Be like again, this is very like happy ending to the extreme. But yeah. the fact that like they actually gave uh, the Earthians like. Mm-hmm some real financial power and and broke up uh at least temporarily you know it's like well you know the the spacians are gonna be up to their dirty tricks again eventually maybe soon but the fact the fact that they actually like seeded power Mm -hmm. and gave earthians a seat at the table might it's like sometimes if you give people what they're asking for they're not gonna go on a reign of terror sometimes they are but you know Mm -hmm. sometimes they're not you know it the thing that i like i mean i know people were critical of the show being like okay they didn't solve capitalism because they you know the company got dissolved and it's like 
I don't think anyone was saying that either. Like, I don't think the show was saying that because clearly we saw the aftermath where things are still kind of messy and there's no there's only the most terminally online brained fans were saying yeah. that was ever a possibility. <laughs> yeah, fair. right. Um, but I, the thing I liked about that move was mostly that it just feels like Prospera's revenge finally landing because, okay, she didn't kill Delling. But she killed the thing that was most important to him, which was the company that he was the head of. Like mm. she, he, she completely dismantled that, and she did that through her daughter. Which again, very, what happened in the Tempest. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I felt like there was there was some poetic justice in that in that move in a certain way. I mean, it is an uncommonly happy ending, not just yeah. for a Gundam show, but also yeah. for a show that has this much, like, bad shit happen in the course of it. Right. And I welcomed a lot of it from the character, like, from from Soleta and Miorne's standpoint right. and, and from their teammates' standpoint. Um, but yeah, some of it was, it, some of it, some of it really is like, huh, really? And also, it doesn't really, like, it doesn't really leave that much open for a Witch from Mercury Part 2, like a, a, a sequel no. show to this. I'm sure that they could find a way to get there, but it, it really does tie a very convenient bow on basically everything. Yeah, they definitely cut At it off. At most, this is getting an OVA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I guess it's not going to be getting the wedding OVA people were hoping for. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think that's exactly it. Is again, I said before, this was clearly not expected to be a hit. Mm-hmm. If there was ever a time to say we will give more heat to this or make any kind of vague, it's five years off announcement, it was the weekend of the finale when they went. The 10 years overdue seed movie is finally coming home to roost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that fucking thing. Does anyone like, I know it was tremendously popular, but does anyone actually like seed? Like that's the, like. There are seed fans. It did numbers, I, but yeah. I know seed fans. Do I know anyone personally who is still going, yes, finally, I've been waiting one guy. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's always one. Yeah, I right? don't know any. What's that? There's always one. <laughs> There's always There's one. Always yeah. One. I don't know any seed fans. I... <laughs> oh um... yeah, no. Once you become a certain level of Gundam fan, you hate it. Yeah. You oh, wish. Yeah. You wish to strangle the entirety of it with one neck to choke. Uh huh. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Seed sucks. Seed Destiny sucks. This movie. It's gonna suck. Mm-hmm. But it's gonna suck in one of two ways. It's <laughs> either going to be, look, a new superer suit that he gets to use to god mode stunt all over everyone. Mm-hmm. Or, did you know, aliens? Because <laughs> I yeah. remember the Double O movie. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. The, a trailblazing of the Wakener. Mm. Um, 
love love when it, I was gonna say love when aliens pop up in a Gundam show to roll my eyes like that, but also that's not I I don't mean it that sarcastically because I love turn A uh, and I like Ideon more than I think most of the hosts who covered yeah. Ideon for Boku no Stop. I mean, I'm I'm talking about that time the Borg were flowers. Uh-huh. You know oh. what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just, I, I think we're pretty much in, in like wrap up mode here. Like, I'm very curious what the legacy of this show is going to be. And it, it sounds like if Bandai doesn't really know what to do with it, it probably is just going to be popular in the fandom and just not get a lot more support. Like maybe he shows up in a super robot wars or something. Um, it's just very funny to me that like, okay, as someone who's kept like an ear on the ground in like the Yuri space for a while, it's absolutely mind blowing that now you can throw a Gundam into that mix, especially in the same, uh-huh. year, the same year in the same core as birdie wing part two. And uh-huh. Yuri is my job. Right after the Magi Revo season, right before we're about to get like I'm in love with the villainous. Like when you're talking about like and then you have Whisper Me a Love Song coming out like January. Like in the last like year or so, there have been so many more Yuri adaptations and Yuri manga coming over, which, you know, for such a young genre, like relatively young genre, is like it's like pretty surprising. And to have Gundam mm-hmm. be kind of like the figurehead of that is it's gonna be really interesting. Um, it's very yeah. funny. It is <laughs> well, amazingly funny. <laughs> the, like the one big, it's, I know it's wrap up time and like, I, you know, it, I also want a soft time limit here, but the one thing that we didn't really get into yeah. at all, uh, is how as, as much as it is in conversation with Gundam of the past, uh, it, just completely flips the double bird at Tomino's ideas on gender mm. and motherhood and all of hmm. that. Um, and feels very intentional in doing that. Um, and so it's also, it's like, it's very funny to have a Gundam be so prominent in the Yuri space. And it's also so funny to have a Gundam say, uh, sometimes moms suck and also there's like literally no reason why women should be kept away from fighting that is based on a lot Mm -hmm. of like backwards paternalist bullshit you know hey tomino already said women can be fighting in victory gundam (laughs) yeah true Mm mm-hmm yeah. Honestly, I think that yes, this is very much this is what to piggyback off of what you just said. This is what Tomino thought he was doing with G Revo. Reco? G Reco, yes, yeah, sorry. I yeah, don't no, know that's fine. That's fine. It's I was just, you know, because because you know every title, I was like, wait, was there a secret title? I no, no, no. Know? No, no, no. Yeah. D- yeah, Tomino's basically going to end his career with the G-Revo movies. G-Reco yeah. movies. God, my brain keeps <laughs> wanting to use an actual word there. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, Tomino's going to end his career with the G-Reco movies. And 
it was a series that was designed to be a Gundam for a new generation, and it was so unpopular because a 70-year-old man was writing this for the youths, Mm -hmm. and the series very infamously had previews for the episodes that halfway through started pleading with you, even if you don't like the show, watch the next episode. Which is interesting, because, like, uh, G-Reco is very flawed uh, and Mm -hmm. has, um, uh, you know, and and is all... It was also hampered a lot by a truncated episode order and studio meddling and all of that. But there's really good, interesting ideas inside it. And um, I am sad that it was so tremendously unpopular because I think that there is a seed, no pun intended, for a lot of good and interesting things. But I... but. But I see the parallels that you're drawing between G Reco and G Witch, and I and I, yeah, there's there, there's definitely something interesting there. Yeah, someday in the West we'll be able to reevaluate G Reco when they finally translate the <laughs> summary movies that run longer than the length of the show. Yeah. <laughs> what? Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> So you know how the original Mobile Suit Gundam had three compilation movies? Yeah. And they're a little long, but it's like, okay, you're, you're getting a little bit of new footage, and it's still the short version. Mm-hmm. Um, G-Reco ran for, I think it was 39 episodes? Mm-hmm. Do me a favor and check that. I will. And then it got five compilation movies, which mm. were uh, the two and a half to three hour length that most compilation movies run and if you do that math (laughs) you might start going wait a second that's more than the runtime of the show uh there were only 26 g reco episodes okay so i repeat my statement Uh Uh uh-huh yeah no that is way longer (laughs) yes how does that work well he expanded the show in the movies you see oh oh, yeah well of course and um, I I believe that they were originally going to give him a fuller run and then decided mid-production um, that it was only going to be 26. Um, and that happens to Tomino all the fucking time, but not to this degree. I, I could be wrong about that, but it it just it's happened so many times and and. It's impo- like there are parts of the show that are impossible to follow because it feels like so much was cut out of it. Um, and so, yeah, I would I would love those movies over here so much. Mm-hmm. I, I keep hoping it'll happen after all of the crunchy, Sony, funny bullshit settles, mm-hmm. especially now that they own right stuff, which was the U.S. licensor for Gundam. Mm-hmm. Mm. We'll see. Yeah. This is the fucking, this is the most Gen Urobuchi quote uh, of all time. This is his positive, this is his positive review of uh, G-Reco. He said, if there are infinite possibilities in writing, is it possible to write a story about the potential danger of stories? A story that renounces stories? Yes, it is. And Reconguista in G did it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Fucking great. I love you, Gen. Oh, I hate that dude, but that is a pretty good comment. Yeah, I yeah, that's um one day you and I will be able to hash it out uh on 
figures that one of us loves and one of us hates and maybe it'll be very fun um yeah <laughs> yeah that's i yeah we should save that as a special yeah. make matt moderate uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> all right all right one last one last thing i think before we close what was your favorite robot which was the coolest robot in the show I have to remember what <laughs> Gwell's original frame was. Because, like, when the show started, I was looking at that and going, this is my dude. I love this because you don't see mechs that look like that in Gundam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll go first uh, while y'all <laughs> Google Google them. Um, I thought the, uh, the, the Schwarzat was the coolest looking one for me. It was kind of a bummer that it ended up just being the one that Lauda pilots when he's having his little pissy fit. Uh, but I think it's cool. It's basically just a samurai thing. Uh, and it's got like, I don't know, like bits that kind of work like a cloak that goes over one shoulder. It looks uh, cool. Uh, Gwell's first mobile suit is named the Delanza. Yep. I found it. And yeah, I'm very fond of the Delanza because it is just such an ugly over the top. And yet it's the Danny DeVito of mobile suits because it's squat, (laughs) it's going out in every direction, and yet it is functional beyond belief. Mm -hmm. Um, I did really like the Michaelis, the witch hunter model, the way that the gun opened up in the three panels, almost like it was a predator mouth or like a, or like a carnivorous Mm. plant mouth, uh, I thought that was sick. Um, And then I really liked the rebuild version of the aerial when she's in space and builds the giant fuck off beam gun that doesn't even like destroy anyone. Mm -hmm. She just builds the giant fuck off beam gun. Um, So yeah, those are, those are my two. I really, of the non Gundam aerial models, I, I think that I really like, the Delanza, like you, Sybil, and I also really like the Michaelis. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, unfortunately, a lot of the... You don't see the sh- the suits all that much. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's hard for me to remember most of them. Um, I would probably have to rewatch the show and be like, oh, okay, okay, I see it. Um, but yeah, I think generally, yeah, there, there were some cool robots. There were, there there were, were some, some good cool robots. robots. 